beauty and skincare is always a hot topic around here, and today I want to tell you about a new product line I've discovered that I think you will like, Exponent Beauty. Listeners of the show will receive 20% off their purchase. More details on that in a minute. Exponent Beauty is a skincare brand with a line of activated anti-aging serums that are clinically proven to reduce fine lines and wrinkles. The beauty of Exponent Beauty is their innovative form factor. The powders are activated with a quadruple hyaluronic acid serum in their patented precision-dosed dispenser. The packaging is gorgeous, and the dispenser itself is refillable, so it has also reduced plastic waste. Exponent Beauty's line of serums can be found in med spas and spas and dermatologists' office around the country. The line is dermatologist-recommended and clinically proven to reduce those fine lines and wrinkles, and to increase brightness and radiance, and to firm skin without irritation. No more expired or underutilized products with Exponent Beauty, just high-quality skincare with ingredients that work. Go to ExponentBeauty.com and use code TELL20 for 20% off a purchase of $100 or more. That's Exponent, E-X-P-O-N-E-N-T, Beauty, B-E-A-U-T-Y.com and use code TELL20, T-E-L-L, the numbers two zero for 20% off your purchase of $100 or more. I'm Laura Tremaine, and I have 10 things to tell you. And you have 10 things to tell. This show is about connection with each other and with ourselves. And the hope is that the things we talk about here will be fuel for better conversations and a personal awareness. Each episode has a prompt or a topic that I want you to take to your journal, text to a friend, or share on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. This is a show about digging deeper and sharing our stuff. I'll go first. Over a decade ago, I began my online work blogging regularly about fashion and beauty and reading and motherhood. Like so many of us writing online in the early 2010s, I was characterized then as a mommy blogger, even though I wrote about so much more than my kids. And I have shared a lot over the years about what those early mommy blogging days meant to me as a reader of those blogs in my early parenting journey, and then, of course, also as a writer myself. It was a season that absolutely changed my life for so many reasons, personally and professionally. And one of those reasons was making friends with some of the most creative and smart women I've ever met. One of these women is my guest today, the amazing Allie Worthington. While I was blogging, she was creating blogging conferences. While I was just starting to grow my family, she was already raising five boys. So yes, I have looked up to her for many years. Now, as the time went on and my online work began to grow and morph, I found myself personally shifting away from conversations about motherhood online. It had never been a full focus of my original blog, but then as my kids grew up and I wrote about all kinds of other things like friendship and anxiety, I just wrote and spoke less and less about family life. And so the topic of motherhood, it does not come up much around here these days. Maybe you have noticed. But when I heard about this new book by my friend Allie, I knew that I wanted to have a conversation with her on this topic because Allie's latest book is called Remaining You While Raising Them. 
and this is not a how-to parenting book. This is a book for moms, centered and focused entirely on the mothers. It offers us practical and guilt-free advice on how to care for the person who needs it most, ourselves. Allie and I had a wonderful conversation about her life as a mom to five, yes, five boys and one stepdaughter. We talked about mom guilt, real self-care, and the different ways social media and those likes and comments can make us feel like we're not measuring up. We also talk about our identities as mothers, the magic question that Allie wants women to get in the habit of asking themselves, and why it's important to allow our kids to see us get angry sometimes. Allie Worthington is known for her straight-talking encouragement and practical tools that help women reach their dreams in business and life. She is a speaker, podcaster, author, and life and business coach who launched Called Creatives, a cohort of women speakers and writers. Allie lives with her husband, Mark, and their five sons outside of Nashville with the only golden retriever who refuses to retrieve. I am so excited for you to hear Allie's wisdom and warmth on this all-encompassing and important topic of motherhood. Allie, welcome to 10 Things to Tell You. I am thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me on. I love seeing your face because we're recording digitally, virtually, but I still get to see your beautiful face. And I always love talking to you because we go way back. We are, we go back really centuries in the digital world. <laughs> we do. We do. We are OG mom bloggers. And I feel like I have watched you and looked up to you and your entrepreneurship, your authorship for so long. And I just love having these talks with you. But today, we're going to talk about your latest book that is coming out that is about motherhood. And Allie, here's the thing. I do not talk very much on this show about motherhood. And I'm sort of just now getting a little bit of an itch to share this part of my life. And so your book has come out at the perfect time for us to be able to talk about this all-encompassing topic. (laughs) Well, motherhood is so triggering. So like motherhood and parenting, for most of us, and I've talked to a ton of women, they have read something that's made them feel terrible or like Mm. they're doing a bad job or they need to work so hard. So conversations about it can be a little bit scary because we've had them before and it hasn't gone well. Well, and for those of us that have looked for mothering information or advice or solidarity on the internet, we have for sure been like knocked down into the trenches because talking about motherhood on the internet is just going to make you so sad. It's either the women who are like, whatever, it, you know, let's let's be terrible moms, or it's the women that are growing wheat in their backyard so they can make organic sandwiches for their kids for lunch. Like, there's not a healthy in-between of just regular women who yes. want to be great moms. Yeah. Yes. I've never identified, or rarely, I should say, because there are a few exceptions out there, but I've rarely identified with a lot of the motherhood conversations online because like you said, it's either like the hot mess mom and really like celebrating that or the mm-hmm. perfection mom and really like, you know, turning all of our social media into following that. And because so many of us fall in the middle of both of those things, the people that do show the middle of both of those things, like it's it's boring. It's not as like exciting to follow. Yeah. And therefore we also like you know, aren't really sharing our like full experiences. Like I just have never really seen myself reflected in the motherhood conversation online, which is 
my point here. And so you've written a book about it because you are a mother of many. (laughs) So many. (laughs) And so I want you to tell my listeners, because we just jumped right into it, but I, I want for the people who aren't familiar with you just yet, explain a little bit about how you came to write this particular book. And I want you to share a little bit about your entrepreneur journey too, which I know is a tangent from that, but I think it really goes into how you're speaking about it in the new book. Yeah. I was a stay-at-home mom to five boys, which is crazy, and stepdaughter. And that was my joy. I loved doing it. I was bored. I I was physically exhausted and mental, intellectually bored. That's how mm. I ended up online, you know, and Twitter in 2007. And we met through blogging because I loved my kids. I loved what I did. But man, there was, there's only so many books you can read and so many playgroups that you can go to. So I, I didn't plan to be an entrepreneur. In 2008, my husband lost his job. We lost our home. We lost almost everything we owned except what would fit into two little storage units. And that's when I got serious about, okay, I know my way around this this new economy that's coming of age online. Let me figure out how to start a business. Let, let's figure out how all of this works. So that's 2008. And for the past 15 years, I've been running my business, helping other women be successful online, kind of teaching everything that I've learned through the years. But it wasn't until a few years ago, I was on a teaching team at a church. I would just go and occasionally do services. And they said, we want you to do the Mother's Day service, but we don't want you to do the normal, earnest Mother's Day message because they knew me pretty well. They said, just just be Allie. Like, just just talk about motherhood. Like, what's going on? What's going on with mothers? Like, you know, just just be Allie. Go have fun with it. And with full permission, I went up and, and just kind of gave, this is state of motherhood. This is what's going on. This is, it, it doesn't have to be this way. Here's here's what we can do. And the feedback was amazing. And everyone said, you have to write a book on motherhood. And I said, that's like asking an author to tempt fate. Like, I don't want to write about marriage because I feel like I'll get divorced. I don't want to write about motherhood because I'll have a child go to prison the next day. You know, like we, we don't want to tempt fate. But so many women, I did a survey with my audience and said, you know, what was the last book on motherhood you read? It was over a thousand women. And so many women couldn't give me the name of a book. They gave me a parenting book. And they said, I wish I didn't read it because it made me feel so terrible. Or I stopped reading it halfway through because it's so ridiculous and it's not reflective of my life. And that's when I knew, all right, let's tackle this. Let's see how it goes. What are you defining as a parenting book versus a motherhood book? Well, a parenting book is here's all the things you can do to, I mean, the the underlying marketing message is here's all the things you can do to raise great kids, right? And it is do more, be more, you know, be perfect. Don't screw anything up or you're going to mess up your kids. But a book for mothers is how do we strengthen the mother, the mother that the kids need Mm. so much. And the fact that we aren't writing books for moms is ridiculous. It's Mm -hmm. moms that are shaping these kids. It's kind of one of the premises of the book is, at least while your kids are in your house, your kids are never going to be emotionally healthier than you are. So if we aren't taking care of ourselves and we aren't modeling that for our kids, how can we expect our kids to grow up thriving and healthy? And But no one's ever tackled it before now. That's the crazy thing. There's only been messages to women of tactical things like chore charts and this and this, which is all good and fine. 
But unless the foundation is strong, unless we have a healthy perspective and we're taking care of ourselves and we're investing in ourselves, it's all just stuff we could do. And then we feel bad because it's not all perfect. Mm -hmm. And I read a lot of personal growth type of books, like how we Mm -hmm. can strengthen ourselves individually. I love that genre. I write in that genre even. Yeah. But it rarely, I mean, I can't even think of an example where those books are taking into account your motherhood role, your role as a mother. Like, I love personal growth, but sometimes there is a disconnect between the advice on how to strengthen yourself. And, you know, it's not taking into account that you're also trying to take care of these little humans, you know? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I think sometimes advice that women get is so silly where we have have thought that self-care is taking bubble baths and getting pedicures, but we need radical self-care where we take care of ourselves. We go to counseling. We do the work. We learn to speak up for ourselves. We learn to identify where we need help and ask for help. That's the good kind of self-care. Pedicures and going to lunch and bubble baths are fine, but that's not going to change our life. That's not going to change how we're living. No, and also those types of self-care recommendations, like we're skipping over the part that some of those things are just like basic grooming. (laughs) You know what I mean? I mean, I'm not, you don't have to get your nails done, like if that's not your style or priority or whatever, but like some of the things that are recommended are, are just like basic living your life, like take a bath, take a walk some of these things. I'm like, okay, well, that's just humaning, you know? And now I do think that sometimes we need a reminder to be a human and you know, groom ourselves in a way that makes us feel good and all of those things. But that's not the same thing as self-care. That's just like life maintenance of of your basic body functions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But we we have this this weird messaging for moms where we just kind of put our needs on the shelf. We think about ourselves when we're pregnant because we're growing this baby, right? And then we'll think about ourselves a little bit after, but generally what happens in a woman's life is we stop thinking of ourselves and we're only thinking about kids. And as more kids come along, there's less and less time. And so we're completely focused on kids until our kids go to school or our kids leave for college. And then we go, oh, what's happened? And and then I was talking to a therapist earlier today and she said she sees women all the time in their 40s and early 50s who go into deep depression mm. because that thing that's anchored their lives are now off you know, having new lives. And I think to some degree, women are kind of sold a bill of goods that we should focus all in our children. And that's our greatest calling in life. And that will make us happy. And then a lot of women then realize, oh, I've, I've completely lost myself in the process. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's like the biggest crux of your book really is this identity piece. I mean, the name of the book is Remaining You While Raising Them. And so that's inherently like speaking about staying in touch with who you are and what your identity is. And it's hard not to find identity in a role that you play all day, every day. You can't ever not be a mother. Like it's a 24-hour gig. Even if we take breaks or whatever, like breaks, meaning like a trip or something, you're still a mom (laughs) away from your children. Like you're always a mom. And so because of that, it's very hard to sort of separate that identity piece. And I never thought that I would fall into that because I have 
a lot of self-confidence. I have a really strong sense of self, but I did too. I mean, I think so many women do, especially in the early baby years when you're so consumed. Oh yeah. And you're sleep deprived and you're all of those things where you, it would take so much mental strength and self-awareness to not lose a little bit of yourself yeah. in those years. Well, and I don't think there's anything wrong with us getting a part of our den- our identity from being a mom. So because whether our kids are away at college or grown and married, we're always still going to be mom. We're, we yeah. may not be actively mothering, but we're still mom. Mm-hmm. Um, we just have to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves in the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I also like several of the things that you talk in the book about like sort of letting go of these myths of motherhood and, you know, what makes a quote unquote good mom. And I love that you write about good moms do get angry because I feel like that is something that has gotten a little bit twisted in like modern gentle parenting, which is such a conscious way to sort of like undo, you know, generational patterns and things like that. Like I understand why women are are focusing on this and trying to not be angry, but anger is a regular human emotion. Yeah. And as I say in the book, mad isn't bad. We we can't live life thinking we're never going to be angry. And if somehow we were able to like click off a part of our brain and never be angry around our children, our children are going to go off into the world completely unprepared to deal with everyone else in the world. Yeah. That's angry. I think that what what I've done before and what other women have shared with me is we want to be calm. We want to be nice. We don't want to get angry. And so we tend to not have strong boundaries with our children. And so our kids push and push and push and push and push until finally we lose it. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the things that we can do, we can still, you know, ascribe to gentle parenting, but one of the key parts of gentle parenting is boundaries. And so it's kind of staying really firm in the beginning. This is what's allowed. This is what's not. Because also we have the cultural messaging that women should be nice. Yes. So that combined with, I want to be a gentle parent, we can be so permissive with our kids that by the time they're completely out of control, we're out of control, angry, we lose it. Mm-hmm. It's something a little bit healthier to check in with ourselves and go, what do I want for this situation? I'm going to need I'm going to need to show that I'm frustrated. I'm going to need to show that I'm a little bit angry. Now, anger in itself isn't bad, but losing it when we're angry, that's not helpful. Right. But what is helpful is then going to your kids and repairing the relationship after you've lost it. Because that's one of the best things that you can model for your kids because there's no way your kids aren't going to go out in the world and get angry with somebody else and need to know how to repair a relationship. So with with moms doing that, kids will be able to do it. Yes. It's kind of like kids who never see their parents fight. Kids need to occasionally see their parents have a disagreement or fight and then repair the relationship and apologize to each other. They need that modeling for how to do that or else they go out in the world and they have no idea what it looks like. Right. So- Yeah, we want all these things to happen under our roof because we need to show our kids what it looks like to go about repairing things in a healthy way. Yeah, modeling that language for, you know, how to make a a strong apology, you know, to a a sincere apology and have, you know, ask for forgiveness or like have this conversation where you explain this is, you know, 
what I was thinking. This is where I went wrong. Having just the like the language around that has been really helpful in our household. I did not grow up in a household that had a lot of anger. And so kind of like what you're saying, not just anger, but a lot of different emotions. My yeah. Like I grew up with a lot of stuffed down emotions. <laughs> and yeah. so like you're describing when I got to the real world where your boss might get mad at you or where you might have a fight with a romantic partner that doesn't mean you're going to break up. It just means you have to like talk through the thing or arguments with a friend, anything like I did. I did not know how to handle some of those things because I thought you were just supposed to stuff it down. Isn't that what you're supposed to do? Just stuff it down and be very nice and smile. Yeah. So when we think about it that way, it, it helps us to give ourselves a little break that mad isn't bad. It's just a normal, natural emotion. But we can, with great emotional health practices, learn to manage it better. And we will model that for our kids. Yeah. It's not every day that you find a product that you truly love and want to shout about from the rooftops. Well, friends, I have found something that I am genuinely excited to share with you today, and that is Born Shoes. Born Shoes are made with the best top quality leather with functional stitching and flexibility. They are lightweight, but they're also supportive. They are great for all casual occasions, extremely comfortable, and especially good for travel. The brand recently gifted me a pair of the Ithaca style sandals. Of course, they are beautiful. The footbed has extra foam for added comfort and with a slight heel for lift. I am positive that I could walk all over London in this pair of shoes, just like I did in my Born Sandals last summer. Born Shoes offers sandals, flats, boots, and heels in several styles and color choices. Take comfort in Born Shoes. Every season, they make high-quality shoes that feel as good as they look. With artistic touches, unparalleled craftsmanship, and exquisite materials, Born designs shoes to satisfy the demands of every lifestyle. Go to bornshoes.com for a 15% discount plus free ground shipping on all full-price shoes when you use my promo code TELL. That's born, B-O-R-N, shoes, S-H-O-E-S, dot com and use promo code TELL, T-E-L-L, for 15% off and free shipping, available exclusively to our listeners for a limited time. With sunshine, outdoor activities, and so many fun things to do outside, it is impossible not to enjoy all of these good weather days up ahead. Of course, we all know that more sun and fun means more sweating and, yes, more odor. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Lumi. Lumi is the first of its kind in the full-body deodorant world and is seriously safe to use on any and every part of your body. It was created by an OBGYN who saw firsthand how regular body odor was being misdiagnosed and mistreated. I especially love that Lumi deodorant is baking soda and paraben-free. It is also pH-balanced for safe use on all areas of your body. You can choose from a variety of fresh scents like clean tangerine, lavender sage, and toasted coconut. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice, like a mini body wash or deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code U at lumideodorant.com. That equates to 40% off your starter pack when you visit Lumi, L-U-M-E, deodorant, D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T, Dot com and use code U, Y-O-U. Another thing that you talk about that I really liked was finding your unique mom style. And 
you know, I was reading that section and and realizing that I, I sort of thought of these things, but you articulated it so well, like I I had not put it into this sort of framework. So can you explain a little bit about finding your mom style? Yeah, I was inspired by a friend of mine because she she heard that I did a bedtime routine with all the boys. And so I would like snuggle up with each of the boys in their bed every night. We'd watch YouTube or say prayers or, you know, all, all the mom stuff. And she said, oh, I'm going to try that with my girls. And so I saw her a few weeks later and she said, by the way, I am not a nighttime mom. I am a morning mom. Uh, at night, I just want them to go to bed and not speak to me anymore. Like, I, I don't want any part of that. And she told me how she felt bad because she wasn't a nighttime mom. But then she was like, wait a minute, I'm a morning mom. Like, that's my style. We do all this stuff around the breakfast table. And that was kind of my inspiration for to go, like, what are the different personality styles that people have? And how can we lean into it? Like, some people are, you know, super caring, super empathetic. They're the caring mom. Me, I'm a cheerleader mom. I am, you know, typical Enneagram 7. I'm going to find the silver lining. I'm going to cheer you up. I'm going to get you going. But once we realize, like, what our strengths are, mm. and there's the ride or die mom. She's loyal. She's always there for you. Whether that is, you know, I'm, I'm a great classroom mom. That's my strength. I've got the crafts. I've got the books. I've got everything. I have never been a classroom mom. Those teachers would have hated me if I had ever signed up for it because I was busy working. They wouldn't, the kids wouldn't have been read to. They wouldn't have had snacks. So once we kind of lean into where our strength is, we can stop beating ourselves up that we don't have the strengths of other women. Mm -hmm. For you, what do you feel like are some of your great strengths as a mom? I don't know if this is an archetype that you write about, but I feel like my strength as a mom is making them talk. Like I'm a yeah. really good talking mom because I mean, that's what I am as a person. Yeah. So it's also how I am as a mom. Like I have one child that would never want to talk about their feelings ever. And then I have another child that wants to talk about their feelings maybe too much. And so balancing both of those things of how to be in the world. Like I make my whole family talk, like my husband too. This is like my role in our family as a whole is to get us to, we talk about hard things. We have family meetings. We, you know, everyone has to go around the table and share their opinion or thought or vote or whatever. Like I'm really good at, at what I just described was the family I grew up in who didn't share any emotions. I'm really yeah. good at making us all feel our feelings. <laughs> That's terrific. And yeah. I think that that's one of my biggest mom strengths. Like, so as I've talked so much about friendship this year, obviously, because I wrote a book about friendship, what this is part of that conversation too, because in my circle of mom friends, my best mom friends have such different strengths than I do. So my best mom friend is an amazing cook, like an amazing mm -hmm. chef. She makes the best meals. That's not my strength at all. My child loves to go to her house and be fed yeah. and loved on in that way. It's like a yeah. way that she nurtures. And my child loves it. And maybe at the beginning, I felt like a little jealous of that, of like, that's not something I'm providing for her. But I'm so glad Julie provides that for her. In the same way, when Julie's child is in my car, she will open up to me and talk about emotional things that she doesn't talk about with her mom. So yeah. like we are doing the village thing. It wasn't purposeful, but we were bringing our different mom strengths to the table. And when I could let my own ego drop around, you know, if I was jealous that my kid had a connection with another mom, or if I was jealous that my kid 
loved the way that mom mommed. (laughs) And that's not the way I mom, but kind of the way you're describing it, when I could see my own strength, it was very helpful for me. I found that it was harder to to have that clarity when the kids are little. First of all, when kids are little, you aren't totally 100% sure what your strength is, maybe. Like it just hasn't played all the way out yet. As my kids have gotten bigger and I've been able to be like, oh, okay, like I'm not a a nighttime mom or whatever, like you were describing with your friend, that has been so helpful in my own motherhood journey to like release the things that I'm not. But when they were babies and you have all this hope for the kind of mom you're going to be, you want to be like all the things. You want to be like the good cook and the one that they open up to and the fun mom and like all that you want to be all of those things. And you have all this hope that you're going to be all of these things. And then you get sad. Like, and I'm not, I don't say sad, like I'm not making a joke. Like I think people truly like, there's almost like a grieving period when you're like, I'm not the mom I thought I was going to be in whatever area. Oh, yeah. When my kids were little, I was just keep barely keeping my head above water. I think, yes. I don't know if it was a grieving period for me, but more of a, oh, I'm just barely okay. And and I couldn't have even fathomed doing a better job. But I love what you say about your friend who's a great cook because your daughter is getting that experience. It's just from someone else. Like my cousin's very outdoorsy. She loves to hike and bike and do all the things that you couldn't pay me to do. And my kids who like to do that, they go do that with her and her kids. And they're still getting that experience, but I don't have to pretend I like it and I don't have to go along. That makes me really happy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I love that. Let's talk about, because you mentioned it a couple of times, and I think this is a really important part of the conversation, that you have been a working mom for a lot of your children's lives Mm -hmm. because this is something I got tangled up in probably back in our mom blogging days, a lot of what I was seeing in the motherhood conversation online, it was really directed at stay-at-home moms in general. And so even though I was actually, this is kind of a tangent of a conversation, but not really, even though I was actually working, like I was writing and then eventually getting paid to write on my blog for years, Mm -hmm. I did not consider myself a working mom. Like I wouldn't let myself be a working mom because I felt, it wasn't that I felt one was better or the other. I just was caught in this very weird place of it. It took a very long time, like literally almost a decade for me to switch my mindset a little bit around, you know, I can't do all of the things all day. I don't have as many hours in the day as I'm pretending I have because I'm also working and a certain amount of hours have to go to work. And so sort of like we were talking about in the identity piece or or the strengths piece of what our strengths are, I also had to realize like, I'm just not going to be able to be the classroom mom. Like I actually like literally cannot do that. It has nothing to do with my strengths or not. It has to do with hours in the day. Mm -hmm. And I had to kind of like get real with myself about it because I straddled this fence of working mom not working long for a long time. And I'm saying this be, it, not to open up like the the ball of worms of the ball of worms, what? Not the can <laughs> of worms of, of the working mom, stay-at-home mom sort of mommy wars that can sometimes happen, but more of just like letting ourselves see who we actually are. And I think a lot of us that, like if, especially in the pandemic, if you worked at home, 
you kind of deluded yourself to be like, oh, I'm at home with my kids all day. I can, you know, make them a beautiful lunch and breakfast and whatever when you're like, well, no, but I also have to work. Like, I don't know. I'm just I'm sort of asking how you have handled this with five kids and a stepdaughter and working all of this time, how you managed to like if there was a mindset thing around it. Yeah. Before I get to it, I will say in my research, I found that working moms thought stay home moms had it easier and stay home moms thought working moms had it easier. Oh, so, yeah. I believe so that. Like, I've been both and thought both. So I mean, yeah. whatever. Yeah. So it's just interesting that every because because the truth is, it's just really, really hard for everybody. Yeah. You know, for me, because when I started my business, it was out of such a place of desperation. Mm. I didn't have the financial privilege to ever slow down. So I think because of that, I didn't feel very guilty all the time. Now, I'd have moments of mom guilt. I remember when my youngest was two, he would come up to me. I would be sitting on the couch with my MacBook, and he'd smack it closed and go, no work, mommy, no work. Um, And there was a time in preschool I went to pick up one of the boys, and the teacher said, I know you don't look in his yellow folder every day, but I need you to actually look at this today. And I can remember driving home crying, going, I'm ruining my kid's life. I'm a terrible mother. You know, I'm spending all this time working and I don't know, I should be doting on them and teaching them Latin or who knows what. (laughs) But again, I didn't have the financial privilege to slow down. Mm -hmm. So it always kept me moving forward. And women will ask me all the time, what kept you going? Why didn't you ever quit as you were building your company? And my answer was, well, I didn't have the ability to quit. Mm-hmm. I probably would have, honestly, I probably would have told myself that I wasn't being a good mom by doing all these things. And I think for women, for us to go, what's my strength? What do I love? What what can I realistically invest in? For classroom moms, I never had the time or the desire, but I feel like, thank God for the classroom moms. If it wasn't for the classroom moms, the whole school would fall apart. But there are women who are uniquely created and designed to do that, and that brings them so much joy. For women who aren't created in that way, for us to try to fit ourselves in that mold, I don't know if you were or not, would make us miserable. Mm -hmm. So I think for all of us going, hey, it's okay to do motherhood in the way that works for us. This is going to be just fine. Yeah, and I think the kids figure it out eventually. Like, they... When they're older, it's I feel I'm I'm thinking because I grew up with a working mom, mm-hmm. and I went through phases of wishing that she was more available and uh, like a stay at home mom, and then I you know went through a phase of appreciation that she modeled what a working mom looks like, yeah. you know, and was still a a strong, wonderful presence in my life. So like I feel like there's so many pros and cons to both, and I think that kids will figure that out because they they will become adults. And because I work from home, I had one of my kids come into my office and he referred to me as a stay-home mom. And I was like, buddy, you're at my office and I just traveled last weekend. Like, am I a stay-home mom? And he goes, well, yeah, you're, you're here for us. So I think we're doing a lot better as moms than we give ourselves credit for. Yes. I think a lot of the guilt we feel is self-imposed or culturally imposed when we're loving our kids and we are taking care of ourselves, you know, emotional regulation, we're modeling that for our kids, our kids are going to be just fine. Mm-hmm. I agree. There is this piece of it that we've kind of keep referencing, you know, maybe because you and I are both online so much. We have been working online for over a decade. So this is like part of 
the way that we think about this. But even for people who don't work online, casual moms who are scrolling, there is this piece of it that does affect our motherhood culture. That's the influencer piece, the motherhood influencer piece. So much to say on that. Whether they're influencers or just people in the neighborhood or people whose kids go to the same school, but but the influencer piece is tough. When I did that survey to my audience to find out like how women are doing with mom guilt, how pervasive it is, over 95, I think 95 and a half percent of women said they deal with mom guilt often. Mm. And the number one trigger of mom guilt, it wasn't us, it wasn't a partner, it wasn't a family member, it was social media. Mm-hmm. So we're just living our lives. We open up Instagram and we see a family and they're all in matching shirts and the dog is smiling and everyone's happy. And our kids are real life kids and the dog has thrown up on the carpet and, you know, all of those things. There is something in our brain where even though we know that we know that we know that it's a highlight reel, it still research shows it, it, it will increase our unhappiness and it will increase feelings of loneliness. So this is huge. And that can be from somebody who's a friend. Then you talk about the whole business model of like professional social media people and all they, you know, they just have like an Instagram account with 200,000 people. And like, that's their jam, sharing brands, doing this, doing that. And not saying anything against it. I'm all for women having whatever business model they want. But when their business model is perfection in a family or perfection in motherhood, A, it's not real. It is a business. And B, mm-hmm. that is so destructive for our own mental health when we see it. Mm-hmm. It's not helpful in any way, shape, or form. Can I make a confession here? I have been part of this conversation, obviously, for a long time of like, you know, Pinterest perfection. And mm-hmm. now people talk about Instagram perfection, that kind of thing in the momosphere, mom, mom blogosphere. And I didn't get it for a long time because I think that I knew so many behind the scenes. Like I knew so many bloggers that nothing about me thought that they were perfect because I knew them in real life. So their perfect pictures didn't affect me in the same way. So this is where I was for a long time. Where I fall now, where it bugs me now, or I don't want to say bugs me. I'm just going to be candid where I feel like jealous when I see these perfect motherhood pictures. It's not because Mm -hmm. I believe they're actually perfect. It's not because I think that their dog hasn't thrown up on the carpet recently or their kid had a sleepless night or whatever. I know that in my mind. What triggers me to feel insecure or less than is how perfectly put together they look. I got you. Yep. Like I will look at her beautiful long curled hair and I'm like, when did she curl her hair? Like I'm actually asking. (laughs) Now you have beautiful, natural, naturally curly hair, but I'm, you know, like, I'm like, they have beautiful makeup and like, like, it takes me a long time to look camera ready like that. And so I'm like, it's, it's a, this is my own insecurities that are coming out, but I'm, I know that I can't be the only one. Oh yeah. For me, it's the house. Oh, I'm glad you said that. How is your house so gigantic and uncluttered? Like, is that really your house? Did you rent an Airbnb? No, it looks like your house. Wow. Like, what are you, what are you guys pulling in? That's what I think. (laughs) I had a mom friend at school one time we were talking about, we were both house hunting at the same time. This is several years ago before I moved. We were both house hunting. So we were talking about some, you know, houses or neighborhoods or whatever we're talking about. And I said something about, 
I don't know if we were joking about like when we were doing looking at houses and, you know, some people clean their house up more or whatever when you're yeah. touring the house. Anyway, I said something like that I, my own house looks lived in. And so it doesn't bother me when I'm on a house tour and the house looks lived in, you know, like yeah. people live there. And she said, I want my house. She said this out loud with her mouth. She was like, and she was an, she's not an influencer. She's not online. She was like, I want my house to look like, how did she say it? Not that nobody lives there, but she's like, I don't want like a speck of clutter. She was like, I want it to look like a, like an Airbnb, sort of like you're saying. I bet she was really fun to hang out with. <laughs> and she said it so seriously. And I was like, what? Because I thought I was like saying the normal authentic thing. Like, yeah, yeah people live there. Houses can look lived in. And she was basically like, no, houses should <laughs> But she wasn't saying it as a judgment towards me. She was just like, oh, yeah. well, my preference is that there's like nothing out on the counters ever or something. And it did not make me feel less than. It made me feel like, well, that's crazy. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but it is crazy what you see because especially with motherhood influencers, they're, they're like 24 years old with a young kid, always perfectly put together and living in a mansion. And you're just like, oh, and you're growing wheat in your backyard to make those sand. Like it, it, it doesn't make any sense. So yeah, it, it doesn't feel attainable to what your whole book is about, which is remaining you while raising them. Like when I see that, it's so hard to separate from like, do I even want that? Like, I don't even want that, but it looks so pretty. It, it looks more peaceful than whatever is happening in my house. To have a completely uncluttered house feels like theoretically like that would be really peaceful in comparison to my own situation or whatever. And we can't stop the scroll sometimes to think like, but that's not even who I am. That's not remaining me. If I was... No trying to live up to that standard, that wouldn't even be me in the first place. But it gets so tangled in our head. Well, and this is the thing. I think we know the research. The more time we spend on social media looking at pictures and videos from people we don't know, the worse we feel after we use social. Like that, that's just the research. We can't get away from it. And the more we use social media, the more we feel lonely. So what we can do just for our mental health is pay attention to the posts that go by and the reels that go by and the TikToks that go by that make us feel worse when we see them. If it is the motherhood influencer who actually is helpful and gives great information, keep her. If she's just modeling a pair of shoes in her perfect house and you're like, oh, it's her again. I can't stand her. Unfollow her. Yes. If it's friends in our life where we see their pictures and there's something that's triggering, just mute them. You don't have to unfollow and have an awkward conversation. But I think one of the best things that women can do is start curating our feeds for more happiness. My feeds are roller coasters, a few people, animals, and like business educational stuff. And for me, it makes me happy. So we just want to ask, like, what, what are the things we want going through our feed all the time? Because I want to feel good when I'm on there, not low-key annoyed that I'm seeing pictures from someone that I don't know and maybe not even like, but I think I should follow this person because they're going to help me be a better version of myself. That's a quick unfollow. Yes. Okay, listeners, I hope that you're hearing in this conversation that what Allie's book is talking about is this. It's talking about 
us, the women, the mothers. It's not, we're not telling you how to raise the actual children. Never. Nope. Not, not one bit. (laughs) But I like that because there isn't much like this out there that I have ever seen. It is all about like how to you know, discipline with love or what. And like, there's a place for those books. Of course, we we need to learn some things sometimes. Yeah. But like, I love talking about motherhood this way, like about us and, and what makes us feel good in our spirits and, you know, what helps us grow as humans instead of like how to grow the humans that we are growing. Yeah. And I mean, if we aren't doing well as mothers, if we're just withering on the vine and we're not taking care of ourselves and we are not doing well, it doesn't matter how many parenting books we read, things are going to be really hard. But when we're taking care of ourselves and investing in ourselves and having these conversations, the natural overflow of that is happier, healthier kids emotionally. Yeah. I mean, that's my dream is that Women just get together and have these conversations that women, you know, read this in book clubs and start telling our stories and being really honest about how we feel instead of having to live up to whatever ideal of perfection that we were taught by our parents or what's going on in our community. It's a really liberating experience. Well, you know, I'm behind that message of sharing our stories and sharing ourselves and like really being honest about it. And that that doesn't mean that you have to trot out like every skeleton in your closet or every single time you've messed up as a mom or whatever, like you don't have to bring out like every ugly moment you've had to still share yourself, to still like feel a solidarity with one another. Like honesty doesn't mean word vomit. This is like a thing that I'm always kind of like preaching of like, I want you to share your stuff, but that doesn't mean I'm not forcing you to be like naked in the public square. This is just a way to connect and be more honest about our life experiences. And I feel like that's the thing that has been missing in a lot of the motherhood conversation. To go back to what we talked about at the beginning, it's either like overshare honesty, like way, mm-hmm. like so much where you're like, oh, that really is a lot. That's a lot That's that you're your, telling me. Your kids may sue you when they grow yes. up for you sharing that. <laughs> or like totally whitewashed perfection that is unattainable for most of us. There is so much in the middle for us to talk about. Okay, there's one last thing I want to ask you about. The last section of your book really does give a lot of like you know, hands-on help and suggestions. And there's one thing that you write about, which is called the magic question habit. Will you share a little bit about that? Yeah. So I realized in coaching women, when I would ask women, what do you need? The response was always, what do I need? I have no idea what I need. Like I haven't thought about what I've needed in years. So I changed it to what do you need right now? And that's the, that's the habit of getting into asking ourselves this magic question. I have it on a reminder that pops up on my phone. I hang it up in my office and it's just asking ourselves, what do I need right now? You know, sometimes it is, I need to make sure I actually eat lunch. I need to make sure that I get out of the house this weekend and I have lunch with a girlfriend. Uh, I need a housekeeper or I need to go to counseling or I need another coffee. It can be something big. It can be something little. But getting into the habit of recognizing that we as mothers have needs and it's healthy and good to have needs and give ourselves permission to ask for the help we need or to just take care of our needs ourselves. 
that's really important for women to feel empowered to kind of raise our hands and go, hey, I need help with this or this is an issue for me. I'm going to go handle it. So we don't feel like victims because there's Mm -hmm. so much in motherhood where we can feel like victims, especially when we're raising little kids, because they do kind of torture us in lots of little ways. And it's important once we get out of the years where we're sleep deprived and they're throwing trucks at our heads and all of those things, once we get out of those really hard years to go, okay, I'm, I'm parenting the kids, but I'm going to mother myself too. Mm -hmm. Because again, the healthier we are, the natural overflow of that is healthier kids. It's not in a chore chart or a discipline system or all of these other things that we feel like we should be doing. A lot of it just comes down to asking ourselves every day, what do I need right now? And honoring that. And it will teach our daughters and our sons to do the same. That's really important because we want to raise kids who are empowered to get in touch with how they feel, but also are empowered to take care of things on their own and not be victims. Yes. God, what a perfect place to end it. I love it. What do I need right now? Stopping down and asking yourself that at least once a day, It's act, that's actually transformative because yeah. sometimes we're just so busy or we're on autopilot or these things where we don't stop and ask, what am I feeling? You know, what do I need? What will make this day better? What will make this hour better? What will make these relationships better? I think if you get into that habit, that can truly like transform your whole life, really, because it's a self-awareness that we don't always allow ourselves, you know. Exactly. Yeah. I love it. Allie, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. Will you tell the listeners where they can find more about you, where they can find the book, all the things? Yeah, I am Allie Worthington, AllieWorthington.com, Allie Worthington on Instagram, and my podcast is The Allie Worthington Show. And thank you for being such a great friend all these years. It's it's fun to watch you just thrive and do so well in your work. You're so kind. I always, always love learning from you. You've just listened to an episode of the 10 Things to Tell You podcast. For show notes and links, go to 10thingstotellyou.com. Make sure you're following us on Facebook and Instagram at 10 Things to Tell You. And you can also join our free connection group on Facebook to discuss episodes and topics. For bonus content, ad-free episodes, and monthly Zoom gatherings with me, join my Secret Stuff Patreon community by going to 10thingstotellyou.com slash secret stuff. Thanks for listening. 